Hello, I'm Sammy Lucas. Welcome back to And Just Like That. They're back. We are here to review episode seven, Sex and the Widow. And before we get into it, hey, I just wanted to say I've just found out that this podcast is being downloaded in something like 88 different countries, everywhere from Mongolia to Guatemala to Iceland and Costa Rica and Azerbaijan. I I guess I shouldn't really be surprised by the appeal of this show because that's what Sex and the City did, just resonated with people from literally every corner of the globe. So welcome and thanks for listening. As always, I am joined by a fellow Sex and the City superfan, and I'm so excited for this episode to welcome one of Australia's favourite TV personalities and interior design guru. She's star of The Block and Selling Houses and Country Home Rescue and, of course, winner of Celebrity Apprentice. Welcome, Shana Blaze. Hi, Sammy. How are you going? I'm so excited to have you on the show. First of all, I loved you on Celebrity Apprentice. (laughs) It was really hard. It was difficult. Like, you know, I've renovated, you know, hundreds of houses and stripping yourself bare in that sort of environment was a whole different process for sure. This series and just like that, are you obsessed with the design element? I mean, are you just, is your mind being blown whenever we see a new apartment on this show? Look, I think we're going into all these different apartments and houses, but we're also seeing ones that we know, like, you know, we've gone back to Carrie's original apartment. Then you go to the other apartment's And I'm finding them all quite cold and I'm thinking, but then you go into the big foyers of buildings and I I think all the commercial parts of the the buildings are are what I'm loving more than the residential. But some of those places in New York, the foyers and the entries and everything, they're absolutely killers. So what did you think Big and Carrie's apartment was cold? Everything about that apartment made me feel like it was a bachelor's pad still. It didn't feel like it was a couple's apartment. Yeah, look, a wardrobe was great. Didn't like the bathroom. Mm. Um, a lot I, of brown, a lot of timber, wasn't there? A lot of timber, but it was old man's timber. I didn't feel like it was the new type of timber panelling and I found it very dark and depressing. And when Carrie went and spent that one night at the new apartment that she purchased on a whim, were you just like looking at it going, oh, what I could do to this place? I couldn't stop laughing because, one, it was that look of like a cut-and-paste apartment. You know, it was quite generic. But the fact that they kept beeping and beeping and they never solved it in the end, but the whole time I'm going, it's the pan on the stovetop, excuse me, it's the pan, it's the pan. (laughs) I had some guy actually uh, message me to say that it was the alarm from the security system. He had a similar experience and wanted to share that. Everyone's got their own theory about what the beeping was. So funny. What about Carrie's old apartment? It looks like over the 15 years there's been quite a few renos. Mm. Are you loving the look and style? Because we're getting to see more and more of Carrie in her old apartment now. It's a small apartment and I think when we left her 20 years ago, wherever it was, it wasn't as, oh, the wallpaper wasn't as large, like, you know, the big scale print on there. Yeah, yeah, parts of it are good and parts of it I'm like, not so sure. Yeah, I don't know how she's coping in that tiny wardrobe. <laughs> well, considering she went from that really large one. I actually get like claustrophobia whenever there's a scene of her in there. I'm like, where are all your clothes? Maybe she still has that storage part. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your experience with the original because you are a Sex and the City super fan. Look, I think the girls' friendships was everything. That was... When I was watching Sex in the City, I was single and, you know, I had my girlfriends that we used to catch up with and talk about our love conquests and our children and life in general. And, you know, when you get together with your girlfriends, you're literally solving the world's problems and then off you go into life every time. So I feel like every time they went for that brunch as friends was so familiar and so real and quite connected. I I think there's something about the old one that just feels so nostalgic. And then also the new one, like, you know, it's going into this new age group. They're not trying to be like their 20s and their 30s. So I, I actually like it. And are you watching it with your daughter now? 
I am. It's quite hilarious because my daughter, you know, I remember she was like a little five-year-old asleep and, I, you know, it was my dirty little secret. Now I watch it with my daughter and it's like these sex scenes and you go, no matter what you do, you're still the mum with the child going there and even though she's a grown woman, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not sure about this, but anyway, we'll be a grown-up. <laughs> and what does she think of the show? Like you, I know you, you'd messaged me and said that you and your daughter do a full review of every episode. She's loving it. She's absolutely loving it. We've had so many times we just howl and just go, you're kidding me. And, and I think for, for that to work also, it shows that the show has real moments. Like we all know it's exploded versions of certain things, but um, there is so much you can connect with it in each storyline. All right, let's get into episode seven. Mm-hmm. What was your overall impression of ep seven? As an overall episode, I feel like you got to the end and you went, Okay, but then when you sort of break down each storyline, it's almost like they're feeding you little bits like a breadcrumb. So I sort of feel like this is a breadcrumb episode. I agree with you. On first viewing, I got to the end and went, oh, nothing really hit me there. It was kind of a bit of a nothing episode. But then, of course, as I always do, I went back and watched it a second time and there is so much going on in this episode Mm -hmm. that I want to break down with you. First of all, uh, sex in the title. You know, it's sex and the widow like sex and the city. Mm. There was no sex for the widow. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) But there was a lot of widow chat there was a heavy focus on the dead husband in this episode did you notice Carrie kept saying my husband died my husband died exactly and and it's one of those ones where she also overdoes it and I love the fact Anthony goes you've got one more at that and I, I loved that little slap in the face at the end because it's just like well He's been dead for a while now, as as we we see through this episode, that you have to start not using that as a tool anymore. It's just like everyone can only handle that sympathy for so long. So I think that's a good point of just like saying, my dead husband, my dead husband, my dead husband, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I was thinking, wow, is this like the next stage of grief, acceptance? It was like her kind of reinforcing, okay, my husband's dead. I think it was in that moment with Anthony at the school fundraiser when they were talking about terrible dates they'd been on and Anthony was like, well, I shit myself on a date once. (laughs) And then Carrie's like, okay, but my husband's dead so I still win. It was like a weird competition of my husband died so my life will always be more shit than yours. But it's also a case of like, um, Carrie's character, like her character is really selfish and it always is through the whole series, through everything. It's all about Carrie. And I love these little slapdown moments because it's just, you know, you, there's yeah. so many great things about Carrie, but th- there is that self-indulgence of a character and you need good friends around you to sort of like shake you up and go, mm, it's not always about you. Yeah. What that scene did, though, was that mention of Anthony shitting himself on a date was it reminded me of one of my all-time favourite moments from the first movie when Charlotte shit her pants on the honeymoon holiday and it was like, you know, it was that moment that brought Carrie out of her depression and made her laugh again and it just just took me back to that moment, which I absolutely loved. But isn't that funny? You just made that reference that, you know, that happened with Charlotte and that made her laugh again. And then when they're talking about that with Anthony, she's almost joking as well. So it's like, you know, does the shit just bring it all just to reality? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Rightio. Well, the main focus of this episode is Carrie re-entering the dating scene. And it's an interesting vehicle to get us there because Carrie's written this new book and I loved that opening montage. I think it was a Carly Simon song and Carrie's sitting in the window. It was the old Carrie Bradshaw we knew in the window on her computer tapping away and we see the seasons change. I loved that montage. It tells you the timeline without telling you the timeline. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of a still version of that scene in Notting Hill where Hugh Grant is walking through the market and, you know, it's summer, then it's rain, then it's snow, Mm. and then there's the Christmas tree. So it shows in Notting Hill like a whole year. And then this part, you know, where she's at the window, it's telling you that that's how she's trying to heal, is just working with her grief and working on her healing 
purging and getting it all. <laughs> yeah. Which then, you know, which then took us to the scene with the editor who says, oh, look, the book's lovely, darling, but it's a little too heavy. You need to yeah. give your readers an element of hope and we really think you need to start dating again. Mm. And Carrie initially comes back to say, look, you know, I just can't do it. And it's only when the editor says, well, Oprah's book club is kind of keen that Carrie says, oh, well, if Oprah wants me to start dating again, I better start dating again. Wasn't that interesting that they used that storyline as a vehicle to get Carrie back on the dating scene? Almost like, did they not think that as viewers, we would just accept it's been six months, she would like some company, maybe she's feeling a little lonely and she just wants to start dating again for her. It was like they had to make an excuse for why she would ever go out with anyone ever again. No, I actually really liked it because the thing is, you know, the love affair with Big is a 20-year love affair, maybe a 40-year love affair, and it's something that you can't get over in six months. It's something that you need a reason to start doing it. Um, for her in Carrie's mind, she could put it as a project rather than not a personal thing of wanting that comfort and somebody around her because, you know, everyone has their own timeline. But I think if it set up as a project gave her more of a reason to think of it as something that she could probably do without saying that she was replacing Big. I loved the scene of the girls out having cocktails. It reminded me of the old days, you know, yeah. when the girls used to be, it would, there were scenes of the four girls out in a bar sipping Cosmos. And in this episode, we had Seema sitting in as the fourth gal, sitting in Samantha's seat. Yeah. But they didn't make a big deal about Seema being there. Like they made it such a big deal when Anthony was there. Did you notice that? It was kind of like she's just one of the gals. Yeah. And I think that's slowly the transition of like, not talking about Samantha every time. Maybe it's it's a symbol of, you know, we're moving on with um, Carrie's relationship personally, but we're also moving on the relationships of friendships in the fact that there's a fourth seat and we want another female around it as much as they're so close with Anthony that in the end it, it, they wanted that girl time. And they wanted wow, Shana, I, I hadn't even thought of that. You've just made me realise there was no mention of Samantha in this episode, I think, for the mm. first time. Episode 7 and we're at the first time there is not a mention of Samantha at all. Maybe maybe this part of it is all about moving on, you know. It's a new chapter in a, in a whole different way. But I have to say the funny thing is um, with Seema being there and Carrie first saying, like, you know, my editor said this and, and Seema's already put her on three websites and slap the phone out of her hand and say, how freaking dare you just do that and put me on three sites? And I thought that was weird too, Shana, that mm. Seema was just like, I've already signed you up. But, I mean, yeah. Seema is such a boss. She staged it like she would stage yeah. an apartment. And maybe as well she's the only single one on the dating scene other than Anthony. She just wants that buddy to go dating with maybe. Yeah. I still felt Carrie accepted just a bit too easily being on three three dating apps. And it was funny though. She's like, she looked through the first few and she goes, I date the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. But I did think it was an invasion of privacy that Seema would just sign her up for three apps without telling yeah, her. Yeah. As a single woman on the dating scene in this age group, I wanted to see Carrie going through the process of signing up to the dating apps and choosing which one and choosing her profile pictures and trying to decide what to write because for anyone who's been in that situation in this age group, they would understand how terrifying that situation is. And I would have loved to see Carrie Bradshaw going through that. Yeah, true, because so many people do the, the dating sites and just really sort of sit on what they say about themselves, what are the pictures. Um, I would have loved to know what Seema had written too. Yes, oh. we never saw Carrie's profile. You're right. Mm, mm. I did yes. uh, a little bit of trivia. I heard maybe it was Michael Patrick King talking about this scene and he said the actress who plays Seema, Sarita Chowdhury, said in that moment of shooting that scene she freaked out because she had been a fan of Sex and the City for the whole series and then she said she's in the middle of that scene as an actress, as a professional on set and she looked up and she sees Carrie Bradshaw, Miranda Hobbs and Charlotte York-Goldenblatt and she's like, oh, my God, I'm in the scene with these girls 
that I have watched on my screen all these years. And she had this kind of full fan moment mid-scene. I think that's absolutely brilliant because it's it's one of those things her her character is quite dismissive and nonchalant and yeah whatever so you know to hold that inside as a different part of you know she's a different person having a fan moment but her character's just like mm, yeah this is what it is yeah that's what you do and wouldn't that be surreal though could you ever imagine you're sitting in a bar in New York and you're sitting there with those three actresses it would be the most surreal moment for any fan oh Sammy I went and saw um Sarah Jessica Parker at a business chicks luncheon a couple of years ago and um I was lucky enough to be right at the beginning of a lineup with her. And, uh, you know, she was so beautiful and gracious and, you know, she's there promoting a shoe line and all that sort of thing. And I'm standing there and I was with a whole heap of girlfriends and she said, oh, I love your outfit. And I just go, oh, yes, Sarah, I dressed up for you. <laughs> what the F did I just say? Like, I just like, what? <laughs> your fan moment with SJP. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I picked my shoes. I actually picked the outfit the night before. All of us girlfriends got dressed up as though we were going to be in Sex in the City. It was like an eight o'clock in the morning breakfast and we were just like, you know, we we're out by 10 o'clock and we were ready to hit cocktails. Oh, that's so funny. Isn't it hilarious when you work in this industry, who you are starstruck by? And yeah. can I tell you, 25 years I've been working in this industry and, you know, you interview and meet all of the big, big stars and I can tell you my most starstruck moment was, God, it must have been 15, 16 years ago at Channel 9, I hosted a show with Jamie Jury called Torval and Dean's Dancing on Ice. And I remember the first time I met Torval and Dean, I had that moment like Sarita Chowdhury had with the three girls in the bar where I was like, I've watched you two in the Olympics, ice skaters, like you're the legends. Here I am standing in this room chatting to you. And that for me was the most starstruck I've ever been. That is so funny. That is just like, and of of all people, Torval and Dean. I know, so weird. Okay, let's go to after the drinks and Carrie has announced that she's going to start dating again and she's walking on the street with Miranda and they're talking about the idea of having sex again and and Carrie says the thought of having sex with anyone other than Big makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. That was the most real conversation I think in this episode, that conversation between the two ladies. I loved it. I think it really comes out to having sex with somebody. It's the most raw moment where, you know, you're naked with somebody else. You know, she's been with somebody for so long and it's like, wow, somebody is going to see all the things about me that they haven't grown with. Mm. And, and and that's that's a big moment. She can't even imagine dating, let alone being physically intimate with somebody again. But then you've also got Miranda who... With her partner, for her, it's dead, it's gone, it's whatever. She's just, she wants to be there again. And and they classify it as, you know, Carrie saying she was on this roller coaster of dating and when in her youth, but she loved the, the comfort and familiarity of being with one person. And then Miranda just says it's, yeah, it's like a freaking monorail for her. It was like, meh. Wasn't that the best analogy ever? <laughs> I loved that contrast here between Miranda and Carrie because all Carrie wants is to have sex with Big again and she never will, whereas here's Miranda who can have all the sex she wants with her husband Steve but she doesn't want it. Yeah, and that's what makes it so real because everybody is going through ebbs and flows all the time about in relationships Is it about being attracted to the person that gets you through the hard times or is it the hard times that doesn't make you attracted anymore? So, you know, now that Carrie is in that nostalgic time, it's like, well, she will only remember the good times now. It's heartbreaking that Carrie wants to have sex with the one person she can't and Miranda doesn't want to have sex with the one person that she can. Yeah, yeah. I thought that conversation was real. And for me, it it has been since day one of Sex in the City is Miranda and Carrie seem to have the most realistic best friend relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have, you know, they've had some pretty hard fallouts as friends too. I remember remember they went um, for a Valentine's dinner and then 
Carrie said something to Miranda and that like they didn't speak for months and months after. Like it was a really bad friendship breakup. So they've had those moments where they can't be friends for a very long time and they've always got back together and then that almost happened like you think, was it the episode before where Miranda didn't want to speak to Charlotte about, um, she didn't really want to hear the truth about what she was saying about her relationship and what's happening with Che. So she just walks off and then, you know, Mm -hmm. Carrie comes out and just like, no, we have to talk about this because if you walk away, Mm. our friendship is fractured again and we, we just can't do that. We've been friends for so long that we have to talk it through. What is the lifespan of an unanswered text? Well, I'm just getting really angry about this part because the the thing is, like, you know, she's asking that question, you know, is it three hours, is it three days, and Carrie's going three days. Then we find out later on it's like three freaking months. Like, what? Hello, dead in the water, three months and somebody still hasn't answered your message and then it's like, oh, hey, I didn't know what you were, why didn't you message me again? It's like it's three months gone by and they didn't even try and contact you. Like that sort of gets to me a little bit. It's like, you know. Really? Yeah, really? Are you really waiting three months? I mean, we all get this was such a profound experience for Miranda with Jane. The waiting is killing Miranda. We've all been there, right? You've had maybe a moment with someone or you've gone on a date and then every time the phone pings, your heart skips a beat. Is it them? Is it him? Is it her? Is it them? And then you get to the phone and it's not from that person and your heart drops. And then Miranda's been going through this for three months. This must be torture. Months. I want to put it on the record that someone who doesn't message me back in three months, you are dead to me. Dead to me. Pretty much. Pretty (laughs) much. Let it go. Um, Uh, Enter Peter, the maths teacher. (laughs) (laughs) we see her swiping and then she stops on Peter and his profile actually says Peter teacher slash widower so see that widower bit yeah she's I guess the assumption that they will bond over their shared loss the assumption that he is as terrified of dating as she is did you think that was a wise choice for her to to go with the widower I think it was a safe bet but if somebody else has got a, a dead spouse, it's more like comfort and a discussion rather than a date. That's what I feel like. That was a very easy date for her and I think it was an easy way to get her back into it because it meant that I felt like there was no pressure. It was like a therapy session almost. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah. I would have liked to see more of the date. Like we saw her arrive in that incredible blue dress, which we'll talk about a little later. But yeah. it started with that awkward silence and then she's like, oh, let's get a drink. And, you know, we find out that his wife died of ovarian cancer and Carrie's yeah. husband had a heart attack. And then we miss the whole date and we skip to that fabulous moment where they stumble out of the restaurant absolutely poleaxed. I wanted to see more of the date. What did you think? No, I didn't want to see more of the date because it was going to be like therapy and I was just like I just thought that would have been quite boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that they come out of there and they're laughing because it shows that they've gone past just, you know, talking about their partners and all that sort of thing. And the fact that they vomited in unison, like, you know, that's a really successful date, I reckon. one can't have something over the other of like well I'm humiliated because you did that they both did it and so they've got nothing to come back to Carrie certainly seems to imply that the date was a disaster when she's talking to the others about it but to me that looked like a really successful date if you get to the end of a date and you are laughing barely laughing with someone you've only met a couple of hours ago that looked like a fantastic date to me Exactly. And the thing is, I think that's the first time we've actually seen her happy in this whole process, you know, her really laughing. She hasn't done that in the whole series yet. And, you know, maybe it's part relief that she could actually be talking to somebody and feeling comfortable. The fact that she was bloody smashed and and just like whatever. But I just, I just feel that it was just relaxed. And that is it. That is a good starting point. But I just, I just think the fact that they both vomited at the end it was so sex in the city. Like it was so like, oh, shit. Like, you know. Yeah. 
It was the projectile vomit into the gutter, yeah. but I don't think anyone would begrudge her that moment. You would probably need that amount of drinking yeah. to get through your first date as a widow back on the dating scene. So totally. <laughs> Do you see a relationship forming with this guy, though? I mean, we've seen paparazzi photos from the set of them kissing at Carrie's stoop. So you say that? Oh, you're way onto this. Oh, yeah. So there's, unless it was a diversion, you know, they're saying they shot all these fake scenes to put people off the scent, but do you see him as the guy she would have a relationship with or is he just totally rebound guy? Oh, total rebound. Has to be total rebound. Like it can't be straight away. But then you think of Aiden. Like Aiden was the, the quiet one, the very gentle. I see him like that, that he will be kind to her, good to her, and will put her needs pretty yeah. much up the front. Yeah. And, you know, whereas Big never did that. He just did his own thing and she sort of like, you know, did her own thing and they'd come together, whereas I feel like he will put her needs first. So I sort of see that part of it. I don't see it as a love story. I see it as mm. comfort and I see it as just a progression. I had two observations about Peter, the widowed maths teacher. One, <laughs> complete opposite of Big. Very interesting choice for Carrie to go with literally the complete opposite to the man who was the love of her life. I also saw him as a little bit of a mix between Aiden and Berger. Oh, so Berger. Oh. Didn't he have that kind of, he had that nerdy academic vibe, but he also, as you said, he had that gentle, sweet family guy mm -hmm. vibe of Aiden. Yeah, I, I didn't think of Burger, probably because I just never want to think of Burger. He was just the most annoying, insecure, oh, my God. He, he just annoyed the crap out of me every time I watched him. I kept thinking, why is she with him? I don't know. I felt Burger was just 24-7 insecure and this guy doesn't seem to be like that insecure type yeah. person. But, you know, because he's a mathematician, he's got a brain, you know, I think that will be definitely attracted to a yeah, look, I think it will be just, you know, the one who breaks the ice and move her into the next stage. I wouldn't mind seeing more of Peter, though, because I love the actor John Tenney. You know, he was in Brothers and Sisters with Sally Field. He was in yeah. Scandal. He's so hot. I think he's adorable. <laughs> I would totally date him. <laughs> so they set up a second date. And, again, this is weird to me because that going on the first date was not her choice. The second date, again, it only happens because of the school fundraiser where I don't know in what universe she would agree to be auctioned off. Who wants to go on a date with the single grieving widow? No one bids on her. The humiliation of that moment, I actually felt sick watching it. Yeah, yeah. I have to say that there's two parts to that as one of my most hated scenes and also part of like, you know, just feeling the total empathy and humiliation for Carrie. I don't know, with Lisa just like not knowing how to hold the mic and how that it was, was weird. going. I just thought that was just a really crap storyline. I just thought that just wasn't even needed. And But definitely Carrie being humiliated and not being, you know, bid for when she kept saying it's a lunch date, it's not a date. So it was just that misinterpretation of what it was and being rejected. Nothing about that made sense to me either. Number yeah. one, why would she put herself in that position? Number two, why, as you said, it's not like go on a, a an actual romantic date. It was yeah. an opportunity to spend a couple of hours with Carrie Bradshaw, who is a celebrity in New York because of her writing as well known. Yeah. Why wouldn't any of the women in the room have bid to say, oh, I'd love to have lunch with you and go, you'd, you'd be a lot of fun to sit down and have lunch with. And then I thought maybe the only reason they did this was for Peter to come to the rescue and put the bid on and that leads us to the second date that perhaps again they don't want us to think that Carrie would be actively out there choosing to date. She's kind of dating as a result of circumstance rather than actively pursuing it. Yeah, but but I think that's part that, you know, if you think back to the original series, you know, a lot of her dates were, a lot of them were accidental. Like she never really pushed herself to go out and see things. She'd go out and live life and then all of a sudden would bump into somebody or there would be a situation and they'd be like, oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it was, you know, definitely Big and Aiden that she actively went for, went once, you know, they met. But, but a lot of her meetings with the past people were all quite accidental. Mm, that's a really good observation. Mm. 
Let's talk about Miranda and this scene at the farmer's market, the random meeting with Naya and Andre. That kiss, did that not strike you as odd or was, was that like totally normal? Is that how you kiss your partner when you're at a farmer's market on a Saturday morning? I don't know. It depends what you did in the morning before you turned up to the farmer's market. Yeah, I can do that for sure. <laughs> what was the most believable couple dynamic? Andre and Naya pashing in the middle of the, the the market and they were so tender and gentle and Andre's like, I'll go and get the cheese, darling, and she's like, yes, and then you cut to Steve and Miranda and Miranda's on the phone, where are you? I can't find you. You can't hear me. And then Steve, the bumbling idiot, comes in, I've lost my wallet and running into people and it was. I think it was that obvious contrast, you know, you've got Naya and Andre that are desperately trying to start a family. They want to stay in love because this is their purpose. And then you've got Steve and Miranda. She's having an affair and it's all just Miranda is finding every little excuse to not like Steve, especially when Steve comes up and then he says his wallet and she goes, "Hmm, that's my Steve, to look at her as though I need sympathy, look at my bumbling idiot for a husband. So I feel like she's going to do everything to justify what she's going to do and has done. Yeah. But the telling moment for me in that scene, when Steve says to Naya, I've been dying to meet you, you're the only person I know who intimidates her. And I thought, wait a minute, there's someone else who intimidates Miranda more than Naya. Who's that? Che. Oh, yeah, it does. And this shows us Steve has no idea what's going on in Miranda's life and really doesn't know his wife at all. You know, you think about how Steve used to be in the series and he was always this kind person that used to centre her and used to be able to, you know, just be that small voice of reason. You didn't have to be the most intelligent person, but he was the small voice of reason. So let's go to this attempted intimacy in the kitchen. Steve and Miranda, Miranda's obviously trying to ignite the passion. I think she realises it's three months, she hasn't heard from Che and it's significant that it happens in the kitchen. Yeah. Because the last time, Jay, <laughs> it was in Carrie's kitchen and, and it was a very different experience this time around. I, I think this is the final clincher is where she's testing him. She's testing going, well, you know, I had that that moment. You should give me that moment. You know, the way that she's sort of pushed him into it and I'm not getting what I want out of this so you're the bad person. Like, you know, you can't give me what I want. You can't thrill me. It's done. And then also, you know, she says later on to Carrie, you know, I really tried to revive the relationship. I really tried. You know, I gave it my best shot. And I'm hearing that going, you gave it your best shot? You gave two minutes. That's not your best shot. To me, that scene, in her mind, it was already done. She was just trying to prove to herself that it was done. Hmm. I, I totally agree. And I wonder with this scene, was it meant to show us that the marriage is beyond the point of saving, which I think we already knew? Yeah. But also, was it meant to try and make us feel some kind of sympathy for Miranda? Like, oh, look at her. She's just giving it one last go. She really wants it to be okay with Steve. And I thought, no, actually, yeah. she used Steve trying to maybe recreate that moment with Che in the kitchen so she could fantasise about Che. Yeah, totally. And I I actually think it wasn't to sympathise with her because it was obvious what she, like it's really obvious what she's doing. And you said, you know, she wants to have an affair with Che. She already is. Like, you know, she's already fantasising. So she's already left the building. She is having an affair. And it's just in her mind she's trying to justify what she's doing. Can we just quickly make mention of, my favourite moment in this scene is Steve washing his hands. You know, it was meant to be <laughs> It's meant to be this spontaneous, oh, let's, you know, go at each other in the kitchen and he yeah. just takes that moment. There's no dialogue. He just goes over to the sink to wash his hands first before he sticks his hand in a pants. This is why Steve is my guy because <laughs> I'm a germaphobe and I would totally appreciate that little gesture. <laughs> Also, that balances it over when when he starts closing the containers. You know, it's a bit smelly. (laughs) Poor Steve. Yeah, but but look, I feel that whole scene in the farmer's market in the kitchen is Miranda setting Steve up to why she has chosen to have an affair. I really do. Mm. 
Let's talk about Che. And before we go to that, I just want to acknowledge a review that I received from someone. I think it was on Apple Podcasts and said, it's killing me that you and your guests have misgendered Che as she throughout every episode. You've also called Rock she, and she's asking this woman that we fix our pronouns. Absolutely. Yeah, and I want to address this because I have been so conscious of taking great care to not use the pronoun she for Che or Rock Full disclosure, there was one episode early on where when I was editing it after the chat with the guest, I realized that I repeatedly referred to Che as she. I went back and edited out every instance where I had referred to Che as she. I was like, no, that's not right, Sam. It's it's not she, it's they. But I just want to make the point, despite best efforts, if we haven't gotten it right every time, I apologize. And it's another teachable moment for us all from this series and one for me. You're so right. Because the thing is, we all want to do the right thing by everybody and say the right pronouns. And it's something that, you know, it's not in our normal vocab. It's it, it's relearning. And, you know, it's very easy to say he and she when it should be they. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if they can be patient would be great because it's not it's not purposeful. Yeah. It's one of those ones if someone picks me up on that, I really appreciate it because it's like, oh God, yeah, I, I really am I'm so terribly sorry. And, you know, I'll do everything to to change that. And yeah, yeah so I, I'm I'm really grateful for people pointing it out so that you can respect it. Absolutely. And that's so thank you to uh, the person who wrote that review. I appreciate it. Maybe by by pointing this out and addressing the fact that we have not got it right 100% of the time, it will also, you know, put that into other people's minds who are listening the next time they're having a conversation in that regard to just catch themselves in that moment as well. So let's move on then. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about Che and Miranda. It's not the love story we would kind of like to see for Miranda if she's leaving Steve. It's giving me the impression that Miranda is just another hookup for Che. You know, when we go back to how long do you wait for somebody to message you and it was three months and Miranda was saying that, you know, basically saying I was hurt by that and they turned around and just said, well, what I want to do is make you naked. I'll be interested to see where it goes from here because when they do get together afterwards, is Miranda setting herself up for a fall? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It will be interesting to see. Is this just going to be the fling that propels Miranda out of her marriage with Steve or is it going to turn into a more meaningful relationship? I I cringed in that moment when Miranda was naked in bed with Che and and Miranda says to Che, I'm in love with you. Oh, really? It's a bit soon. It's a bit soon. But then, of course, Che responds with this incredibly profound statement, no, you're in love with you with me. Which is that setting herself up for the fall? I think being with Che is to get Miranda out of the marriage. They could end up just being friends or they could end up being lovers, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's taking her out of the marriage. But is it taking her into a relationship with Che or is it taking Miranda just into her truth, whatever that is? Yeah, exactly. This is where we, we were saying right at the beginning that this episode really didn't go anywhere but when you start picking at the bread (laughs) this is going to add water and expand later (laughs) all right let's talk about charlotte i guess the tennis storyline gave us a couple of opportunities to progress the friendship between charlotte and lisa todd wexley it's introducing lisa as a really good buddy so it's showing her away from the school it's showing them as friends showing them that they have things in common like their competitiveness which we haven't actually you know we've always seen Charlotte as competitive but we didn't know Lisa was competitive too like the fact that they're just going yeah and they've got those those ladies that are probably in their 80s and they're just going yeah we're gonna kill the bitches like you know (laughs) come on I also read somewhere that Kristen Davis didn't actually play tennis. She had to learn when they wrote this storyline in for this series. She had to go and learn how to play tennis. But what this did give me in the first tennis match where it was just the girls, 
it gave me one of my favourite fashion moments of this episode was Lisa Todd Wexley's outfit, her tennis outfit in that first game. The Fendi bucket hat and that black and white outfit was beyond fabulous. That's how I imagine myself to look whenever I'm doing any kind of sporting adventure. That is exactly mine because it was one of those ones where who needs a Fendi bucket hat when you're playing inside tennis? But, man, why wouldn't you? It looks fabulous and it works so well with the dress. And, yeah, I have to say that is my fashion moment for that whole episode. It was such a knockout. What I also enjoyed about this, and I guess one of the reasons maybe they brought the tennis storyline in is it was a breakthrough in the friendship with Charlotte and Lisa Todd Wexley because – they saw, Lisa Todd Wexley and her husband saw Charlotte and Harry having the fight on the sidewalk, watching someone fighting with their partner when they don't know you're listening and watching. It broke through that next level of the friendship. When you see that side of someone, it's kind of very confronting, isn't it? I thought it was really interesting, the dynamic with Harry and Charlotte on the court is that Harry was quite, passive aggressive and saying come on let you know do this and do that and make it happen and he was the one that wanted to win 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 and she calls out I've got the shot he falls over he's actually pissed off he didn't get the winning shot do you think that's what it is I couldn't work out and I wanted to ask you why is Harry so angry at Charlotte for knocking him over and why are you angry about it he was trying to show that he was boss you, you look at how he was telling her how to play tennis and where to hit it and what to do, and then she, you know, it's like anything in tennis or baseball or cricket, you say, I've got it. The person is meant to get out of your way because you've called out, I got it. So the fact is, one, he didn't get out of her way. The, the fact is he didn't play the winning shot. That's what he's pissed off about. Yeah. And then she gives the answer of basically, well, this is where I get my aggression out. This is where I am, who I am. I don't have to apologise for who I am. And he just went on and on and on and he just had something stuck in his mind and he wouldn't talk about it other than apologise, 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 apologise. He he was just like a dog at a bone. And so the more he said it, the more angry Charlotte got. And you think of any situation when somebody just goes on and on and on about one thing, it helps you go, well, I'm not going to give it to you. Ten times ago I was going to apologise, but now you've carried on like a pork chop. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And then you're right, we saw that moment which took me back a little bit when Charlotte screams at him, you're making me fucking crazy. And we don't hear her swear very much at all. Like, oh, Charlotte's dropping an F-bomb, wow. And I think think the thing is like Charlotte very rarely loses it. So I think the fact that they showed her again being human and also Charlotte's always trying to show herself as perfect and, you know, it's just that little bit of an, that perfect veneer is a show. And if you're trying to put on this perfect performance all the time, you're going to crack somewhere. And I feel like it's just that little thing that just pushes you over the edge. You know, Charlotte is the one that on one level appears to be so prim and proper and a little bit out of touch with reality and the rest of the girls. But then every now and then she just comes in with a quote that just hits it out of the park and she did it again in this scene where they're at the school fundraiser and they're looking at the silent auction and Harry's still carrying on about why won't you apologise, you need to apologise and Charlotte says women apologise to the whole world all day long for everything. Tennis is the one place I don't have to do that. Yeah. I was like, go girl. You know, because those moments are very rare, when she does it, you really notice it, you really step up and notice Naya and Andre, the other criticism that I got, uh, Shana, after our last episode was that I didn't mention the Naya fertility scene with Fertile Myrtle. And again, full disclosure, I did have a chat with Lisa Bonos about that scene, Mm. but it was one of those moments that I ended up editing and deleting it out of the final podcast because it, it just, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't add anything. And I'm, I'm really perplexed as to why I'm not connecting with this storyline because, you know, as you know, I, I've went through this myself. I've been through the whole infertility journey and going through that roller coaster with your partner of hoping you're pregnant, thinking you're pregnant, getting your period, the crash when you realise you're not pregnant again. Like there is so much to this storyline that I should connect with yeah. and I'm just not and I don't understand why. 
because it's not reflecting your situation a lot in the fact of, you know, how you felt about it and what you went through. Um, and it's, mm. it's such a big subject and I feel like it's just they're coping too well. They're too measured and they're too okay about it all. And they're both sort of dancing around how okay they are with each other and how okay it's all right. Like, you know, um, we'll give it another go. And then in the market saying that we've not fallen pregnant again and we've stopped IVF and, and then also in the car when, you know, she almost hits the guy crossing the road and, and this guy has an angry attack. With I him. have a toddler. I have a toddler. That was hilarious. Exactly. And then is it that they're too scared to really tell how upset they are about it not happening? Because everyone else is breaking down and you, you can't have everyone breaking down at the same time. So maybe that storyline is just having its little moment till there's a little bit of room in the rest of it for their turn. What this scene made me realise is one of the other themes of this episode to me seemed to be all about fighting. Mm. The tennis storyline, you know, you're fighting to win. Harry and Charlotte fighting. They're the couple that fight on the sidewalk. Steve and Miranda fighting to keep the marriage alive, fighting to find some kind of spark in the kitchen. Naya and, and Andre fighting with Mother Nature and fertility to have a baby. Lisa Todd Wexley fighting with the microphone to be heard at this charity event. And then, of course, Carrie fighting with her own grief mm. and desire to date and then even the dad at the end fighting with complete strangers because they almost ran him over in the street there was a lot of aggression and fighting in this episode isn't that funny because it, it's not until you point that out I'm like oh it was very mellow for so much aggression there's so many seeds have been planted in this one that I think us pulling it apart and so many things you've said made me go oh yeah maybe this will be the episode that you go back and go ah so that's why that happened yeah yeah so I sort of feel like that's where you go oh there is so much more about to explode here Mm. for sure all right, let's talk fashion. Uh, worst fashion moment for me was Carrie at her editor's office in that oversized purple jacket and the red tie. It reminded me of yeah. Jim Carrey in The Mask. Yeah, no, that was not good. That was not good. And I have to say I wasn't big on Miranda's outfit at the auction. It just looked like a really dated print and I just thought, mm, yeah, I wasn't feeling yeah. that one. Uh, my favourite outfit from this episode Shana because one it was Lisa Todd Wexley as we've mentioned the first tennis outfit there was of course that powder blue figure hugging dress that Carrie wears on the first date with Peter the maths teacher that dress is actually a Norma Kamali it sells for $215 a little more affordable than we're used to seeing Carrie wear I love that she threw that white silk Max Mara blazer over the top as well look I I think the thing is like you know that's the one that's been most photographed where we're saying this is the classic Carrie dress but I, I just I just love the bucket hat it wasn't a full outfit. It was just that hat. And you just, you know, I've got mountains of hats and I don't think people wear enough hats. Like we always see Carrie wearing an incredible hat. Like, you know, when she had that that hat in the last episode when she's chopping onions because it was one of the yes. other I just thought that was, why wouldn't you wear a hat chopping onions? I don't think we do that enough. You know, I just think the accessory of a hat is just the best. And I, I just loved seeing somebody else wear one. We only tend to see Carrie use it. So I love the fact that, Lisa was wearing it as well. I, I, I really, I thought that was a defining moment for her as a character, as she's a fashion icon. Because my God, she, I can't. Every time she walks on the screen, I can't take my eyes off her. No, she's so beautiful. She's oh. blindingly stunning. Yeah, there were no Carrie hats in this episode, and that for me has been a real feature of this series, the Carrie Bradshaw hat parade. I don't remember seeing her in one hat in this episode. Maybe only one person per episode is allowed to see the story. Maybe. And then we have to give honourable mention, I think, to the white dress Carrie wore at the very end to the charity event. It was a Lorenz Scott dress from apparently from 2009, so a bit of a vintage number. Do you think that's symbolic too in the fact that this is the episode of her moving away from big and you note you know, when you're, you know, grieving that you're in black. And then this was a white sort of, even though it was Lorenz Scott, it was very Chanel. And it was saying I'm here because, you know, mm. you're in a white dress and you can't hide. Here I am. 
that's one of those moments that I think probably is a bit symbolic. Yeah, absolutely. Although the title of the episode was Sex and the Widow and there was no sex, so maybe it was a virginal kind of reference as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, least favourite scene. It's the auction for me. I just like, I just cringed in that. I just thought if you're going to go down that road, make it more dramatic, you know. And I didn't understand why Lisa, you know, her husband was rolling his eyes at her and just felt the most unrealistic scene in in the whole episode. I agree. And I enjoyed the scene because it did make me cringe because watching Carrie being auctioned off. So the scene worked in that it made me feel something and I actually felt sick for her standing there and then being humiliated horrifically in front of those people. But I also, it was my least favourite scene because exactly as you said, the Lisa Todd Wexley with the microphone thing, it just didn't work for me. It was unnecessary. Don't waste precious minutes of this episode on something so stupid. Like show me Carrie doing her dating profile. I'd rather (laughs) spend spend minutes of the episode on that, not Lisa Todd Wexley with terrible microphone technique. What about favourite scene? Well, we've already talked about it. To me, the opening is is just incredible. And I just feel that was so classic Sex in the City, her sitting by a window, looking at the door. That was how she was healing herself. And yeah. I, the, the song and the quiet moments, and it was all reflective, but it was powerful. And I just, and then, you know, at the end, she was back there. So I just feel like it was a bookended mm. moment. I loved the scene, as I've mentioned, of Carrie and Miranda walking on the street and talking about will I ever have sex again and the idea of having sex with anyone other than Big. As I said, I just love those real conversations between Carrie and Miranda. I love the dynamic between the two of them. I love the friendship. I guess these two women have worked together yeah. For so many years, it's it's effortless when they're in a scene together and I love it. But the other scene that I really, really loved and it was a bit silly and, and fleeting was that moment when Carrie and Peter emerge from the restaurant <laughs> laughing, laughing hysterically. And as you pointed out, maybe because it's the first time we've really seen that side of Carrie in this yes. whole series and it just it made me feel good and I was laughing along with them and I laughed out loud when they projectile vomited yeah. into each other. yeah. I loved that moment. But, yeah, it was bloody funny. (laughs) What what would you like to see moving forward? You know, it's one of those things that I I wait for every episode like a little child waiting to see what they're going to do because there's there's always so many twists and turns and I sort of feel like we've, we've been smacked in the face in the first couple of episodes with everything that's happening, all these changes, and we've sort of gone into that lull, quiet mode. And I want to be thrown. I mentally just want to be going far out I didn't see what I didn't see that happening and so how that fits and what it does I don't know I feel like some really crazy thing's going to happen we're still up for another shock I really feel like something's going to smack us in the face for sure well maybe it'll be Carrie having sex with Peter the maths teacher I would like to go wrong having that yeah I want to see Carrie having sex (laughs) not in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) oh this has been so much fun Shana Blaze thank you so much your passion for Sex in the City and the characters is fantastic it's been wonderful dissecting this episode with you thank you it's been great and the fact that you're doing it it just and you know I dissect it with you know my daughter and my friends and we talk about it days later over drinks and oh my god we've got to talk about this so to actually really tear it apart like this I've never torn it apart scene by scene like we have with this so you've actually set a standard now so when I see my friends I'm gonna have notes right so let's talk about this (laughs) I've inspired you oh it's been brilliant thank you so much Shana and enjoy the rest of the series thanks Sammy you too 